Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette, and I am an editor here at HowStuffWorks.com. Sitting across from me, as he always does, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. Hey there. So, uh, you know, we were looking at, for podcast topics. Didn't for have a while, to look too hard. Well, no, that's true, but uh, for a while we were kind of up in the air on this one. <laughs> yeah, but fortunately, a listener managed to, uh, to, to get us on tar- target. So let's go to a little listener mail. This listener mail comes from Paul, and Paul says, Hi, John and Chris. I enjoy your podcasts and those of your associates at How Stuff Works very much. I thought this might make an interesting topic, the technology behind air traffic control. I was told that at one time, and perhaps this is still true, that the U.S. is using very old computer technology for air traffic control and that plans to upgrade the system have been bogged down for decades. I would appreciate your insight into this. Thank you so much for keeping me entertained over long hours in my car. Paul. All right, Paul. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about air traffic control and what goes into uh, keeping everybody safe up in the skies. And, uh, well, to talk about the old technologies, it's true that a lot of the technology used in air traffic control has been around for, for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, there are plans to eventually automate the system, but that's still not here yet. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know why you'd be concerned about that. I mean, it's not like 50,000 planes are in the air every day over the United States. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. Yes, they are. <laughs> On a good day. Um, yeah. But yeah, the the automated thing, well, I'll go ahead and get this out of the way first. Okay. Uh, one of the, there's several reasons why it would take a while to move to a fully automated system. One is that while you're upgrading to the fully automated system, the existing system would have to continue to operate because mm-hmm. it's not like we could just say, you know what, we're going to take, um, I don't know, six months and not fly. <laughs> All right, you guys look out for yourselves up there. Uh, we'll be right. fine. Yeah. yeah we're going to paint all the planes a bright day glow pink or green and, uh, and yeah, good, best of luck. No, that, that's not the way it's going to, no. that's not the way it can work. So mm-hmm. obviously if you're going to, to upgrade a system as huge as the air traffic control system is, and we'll get into how big it is in a minute, um, then it's going to take a lot of time and you're going to have to, you're going to have to duplicate systems, uh, while you are ready, getting ready to switch over to the other side. And then if there's an element that requires airplanes to also get upgrades, that's an entirely different issue because now you're talking about two totally different well, multiple systems, really. Right, right. Cause you've got the government system, which would be the air traffic control, cause that's overseen by the FAA, right? Mm-hmm. So that's a government, uh, agency. And then you have all the private companies that are the, you know, the private airlines, not to mention, uh, private pilots. And, uh, and, you know, to upgrade their equipment, that also is going to take a really long time. So it's, it's one of those where the, the, uh, the job is very complex. It's huge and it's the government. I think if you talk about huge, complex and government, you, you realize that means lots of time is going to go by before it ever happens. Yeah. Yeah, but that's not because, you know, people just don't want to do it. It's it's complex. So Right, yeah. and it's expensive. It's you know, and again, this money comes from taxes. Turns out uh people aren't thrilled about 
paying taxes. So it, anything that requires tax money, it, it ends up being a political battle. So, I mean, the complex, like we said, goes well beyond just the technology. But now that we've covered that, let's talk a little bit about what is involved in the air traffic control system. Yeah, as a matter of fact, uh, speaking of complex, the air, air traffic control system itself is very complex. And uh, this probably will give you a better idea, too, in the types of technology we're talking about. Um, as it turns out, the... Uh, the air traffic control space is divided up really in three dimensions, which is appropriate. But it's kind of it's kind of weird to think about when you're not, I guess, when you're not thinking about how air traffic control works on a day to day basis. Because um, the United States is divided up geographically into 21 different zones, uh, also known as centers, and each of those zones is divided into sectors. Well, those are two dimensions, uh, you know, the uh, width of the United States and the uh, length. Sure. Uh, and then you have the altitudes in those zones. And there are different groups of people who are managing aircraft as they move from one zone to the next. Um, so which is kind of weird to think of. Like I said, it's kind of weird to think about it because you're thinking, OK, well, I got it. You know, you're flying from, say, Dallas to Chicago. You know, you say in Dallas, hey, I'm going to Chicago, and Chicago says, okay, well, come on, we're ready for you. It's not really that simple. Right. It's, it, you know, from from a passenger experience, what it seems like to us is that you have, when, I don't know about you, Chris, but when I think air traffic control, I'm thinking of the towers. Yes. At the, yes. At the airport, right? Mm-hmm. So you're That's at, only part of it. Yeah, exactly. But you're at the airport, you see the air traffic control tower, you know that the pilot is talking to air traffic control and saying, uh, hey, uh, I got a bunch of people here. They want to get off the ground. And air traffic control is like, well, we're going to make them wait around a while because uh, we're jerks. And then the pilot says, but we're the ones who get all the blame. And the air traffic control says, ha, ha, ha. And then uh, actually, that's probably not how it works. But at any rate, the pilot contacts air traffic control. They get the clearance to take off. And then you're in flight. And then you you pretty much don't really think about air traffic control as a passenger until you get close to landing. Yeah. So you're thinking of the the starting point and the end point uh, as like the air, tra- air traffic control tower in both airports. Uh, turns out there are actually several stations along the way that uh, monitor your flight for the entire duration of the flight. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, now, the the... Tower that you're talking about, Jonathan, is the air traffic control tower, or ATCT. Yes. And that's, uh, you can find one of those at basically any airport, uh, that has regularly scheduled flights. And they, you know, manage to take off and landing in the ground traffic to make sure that they know what's going on. But once the, the plane, well, okay, we'll talk about the other parts. Um, the other parts are the air traffic control system command center, ATCSCC. And that's, uh, basically that's in charge of all air traffic control. Um, you know, we're talking about they, they manage things, you know, uh, routing traffic and bad weather and, and trying to figure out what's going on with the uh, um, traffic patterns and how the runways are dealing with on the ground. But um, locally, you have air route traffic control centers, ARTCCs. Um, each center has its own ARTCC, and they manage traffic within the sectors uh, in that area, except for the next group. The TRACON, Terminal Radar Approach Control, and they handle the departing and approaching aircraft within that space that they are assigned. And that space is around 50 miles in radius. So 
Um, yeah. So what we're doing is we're going from very large and getting progressively smaller here, right? Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. So we've got the, the center, which is the big one. You've got the, you know, the air route traffic control centers, which that controls a zone or, or yeah, you know, that's what we, you know, the center slash zone, however you want to call it. So there are multiple sectors within that. Then you've got the TRACON, which can actually overlap sectors depending on where it is geographically, but, um, it's got the 50 mile radius. And then what's next after that? Um, wait, after the TRACON? Yeah. I guess after that the TRACON would be the... is technically the air traffic control tower because right, at that right. point you're dealing with the airspace around the, the airport itself. And then there's, you know, the flight service station. So if you need information about weather or, uh, the route or flight plan for private pilots, um, then you would consult with the flight service station. But those are in, uh, smaller, smaller areas. And, right, uh, there smaller, are people. Like rural, uh, airport rural airports. Kind of I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, and, you know, in the case of emergencies and, uh, you know, if there are search and rescue operations that need to be managed for a missing or overdue aircraft, the flight service station, uh, is involved with that. But, um, yeah, I mean, small, smaller aircraft that are flying by vision only, uh, visual flight rules. Yeah. Um, you know, they don't really, they're not required by the FAA to file a flight plan. Um, so the mainstream traffic control centers don't deal with these smaller aircraft. Right. They, they have specific rules they have to follow, which prevent them from getting within the same sort of flight space as the massive, uh, yeah. larger aircraft. That's right. But, as long as they are uh, following the rules, then uh, they don't have to to ch- do a flight plan. They don't have to uh, check in as often as the commercial flights do. Um, the ones that are the big boys, like the the commercial flights, right? Uh, they do. They follow the instrument flight rules, right? Which means they can fly in all kinds of weather because they're uh, they're using instruments to guide them. Uh, right. You know, it's not during just the course of the. It's not just you know. Oh, I can. I I have good uh, uh, visibility. Visibility. Yeah. yeah. It's like I could see where I'm going. <laughs> well, right. That's part of it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and uh, all IFR flight rule pilots. Um, that was redundant. Thanks. Uh, must file a flight plan within uh, 30 minutes of pushing back from the gate. Uh, basically, what you don't see the pilot doing is checking the weather. Uh, making sure that the the route is okay and uh, filing the flight plan, and that's got all the information in it that the air traffic control folks are going to need to know, like the name, flight number of the air, air the airline, uh, the type of aircraft they're flying, and the equipment on board, the intended airspeed and cruising altitude, and the the uh, route of the flight. Right, and this is of course all this information is necessary for air traffic control to make sure. That there are, aren't any, uh, there's not going to be any real congestion in the flight space above the United States. Not that kind of congestion. Oh. But to make sure that you're not going to have any potentially dangerous situations due to too many aircraft, uh, occupying the same space at approximately the same time. Right. So that's why all these flight plans have to be filed. It's, uh, it's really to give air traffic control the, the big picture look at what is going on at any given time above the United States airspace. Right, right. Shall I go on? Please do. In the tower, we've got a flight data person who's checking the weather and flight plan information um, and then puts it into the FAA host computer. And um, the computer comes up with a flight progress strip that goes from the controllers to, you know, to the flight from different station to station uh, so that it's possible to track a particular plane. Right. So as a plane travels from one 
zone into another, the the controllers for those zones have to be able to pass the information along to the next controller so that uh, everything remains up to date and everyone knows where everybody is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so turns out that's important, right? So for for a flight from one coast to the other, you will cross through several zones. Mm-hmm. So many different controllers will have their hands on that on your flight's information uh, as you go from one side to the other. So let's say like Atlanta to L.A. Mm-hmm. I'll be taking that flight in June. So and as I'm taking that flight, you're, you're, I'm going to, you know, that, that flight's information is going to pass through not just the local air traffic control, uh, team that's, that's there at the Atlanta airport, but right. through many different centers as we fly across the country. That's right. Um, I mean, the ground controller is managing the ground tra- the traffic you know what's going on on the uh literally on the ground where all the different planes are with regard to the runways and taxiways um and um you know the local controller is in the tower as well watching the sky around the immediate area around the airport yeah and as for what kind of technology these guys are using uh binoculars yeah also radar mm mm-hmm. mhm and so, you know, it's, it's pretty dated stuff, but it works. Right. Yeah. It's it's one of those things. Now, granted, if visibility is limited, they're going to be relying more on the radar than the binoculars. That's right. Uh, and if it gets too limited, that's when air traffic control says, you know what? The conditions are too dangerous for flights to take off and land out of this airspace. And so we are going to uh, delay any flights uh, for the, you know, for as long as the weather remains this bad. Yes. Or as of the day that we're actually recording this. The skies are full of volcanic ash. Right. So if you are in the UK and you wanted to fly someplace and you realize that the, you know, or the air traffic control realizes that the, uh, the air is completely filled with ash and it, it's really impacting visibility, you might be grounded. Yeah. It's funny, just as an aside that, uh, I was listening to a report on that this morning and they said, yes, you know, there are bits of glass in the air thrown up there by the volcano. So, yes, as it turns out, flying through that is not very healthy. All right. Uh, aside from the volcano right. uh, story. Yes. We've got um, we've got the local controllers basically keeping an eye on things. Um, and they're basically the ones giving uh, clearance to the aircraft for it to take off. Um, and as the, uh, as the plane leaves the ground, the local controller is going to hand off the plane – if you will, to the departure controller at the Tracon facility. Right. Um, it's still going to keep an eye on it within five miles from the airport, but uh, the pilot is now in communication with the departure controller rather than the tower on the ground. Right. Uh, with whom he or she was just speaking. And uh, actually, also, as the plane is taking off, here's another piece of technology for you, the transponder aboard the aircraft. Uh, the uh, the pilots are, are uh, you know, engaging that. And um, it is identifying radar signals coming in and broadcasting uh, a radio signal of its own in the direction of the radar waves that are coming to it. So it's it's locked on to the radar and is saying, hey, here I am, here I am. This is who I am. Yeah, this is who I am. So transponder, when you you beam the radar signal at the plane, uh, the plane says, hey, there's a – I've detected a radar signal. It's from this direction. Uh, I am going to identify who I am, where I am. And uh, it actually has an amplifier as well, so it can amplify that signal, send it back to the uh, the radar facility, and then that's how the the ground can keep track of where planes are as they're in the air. As it turns out, 
Aircraft are equipped with radar detectors, although they very infrequently get pulled over. Okay, then. So the departure controller, <laughs> I'm just getting stared at. Yeah. The departure controller is uh, is working at the TRACOM facility. Um, and, uh, you know, the TRACOM facility may actually be in charge of several airports. We're not yes. just talking a single airport. Because, you know, like we said, 50-mile radius, that's a yeah. big radius. And mm-hmm. if, you know, if you're in a – there, I, I can think of like two airports in the Atlanta area right off the top of my head mm-hmm. that would fall into that depending on where the TRACON uh, uh, was stationed. That's right. So That's right. Um, and, uh, and here again, we're talking in three dimensions. So not only is the departure controller looking for you geographically, he also wants to know what the distance is, uh, vertically to identify how the distance between any ascending and descending aircraft. Right. Um, because that is again, important to know. And they have specific ascent corridors in various mm-hmm. geographic regions. If you've ever taken off, uh, from there are certain, uh, airports where you have a very steep ascent corridor. Mm-hmm. That's I, true. I've, uh, where it's usually because of, of, uh, noise ordinances. And then there's the geographical. Well, there's also, yes, there's some too. that are geographic as well. There's but, a mountain here. You need to pull up. Right. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But, uh, there are, there are several where the, the local area has a noise ordinance mm-hmm. where the, in order to, to obey that ordinance, uh, aircraft have to take off at a much steeper incline than normal. And, uh, if you've ever experienced this, it's kind of fun. <laughs> uh, not if, I mean, I enjoy flying. So for me, it's kind of fun. For those who are afraid of flying, they may not, not enjoy not it so much. much fun. So um, then the plane leaves the Tracon airspace and enters a sector of the ARTCC airspace, where at least two air traffic controllers are keeping an eye on the plane. Uh, the radar associate controller is looking, um, basically correlating the flight plane information um, to what's going on, and the associate controller is working with the radar controller in charge of that sector. Um, basically, that, that person is in charge of all the air-to-ground communication and trying to make sure that planes are located in a reasonable enough distance apart that they are operating safely. Right. And, you know, these controllers could be monitoring dozens and dozens of planes at any given time um, because it's they're the ones in charge of monitoring it over their particular center. And as we said, you know, there's just 21 of these across the United States. That means that these are really big areas. Mm-hmm. So these guys are, are and men and women, I shouldn't just say guys, uh, they're keeping eyes on on lots of different data all going on at the same time. And again, we've got like some computers that are uh, collating all this so that you can look at a, a, a computer screen and see a, a data representation of what's going on. But a lot of this is still going with a, with humans monitoring um, tools directly like the, like the radar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, basically the uh, the radar handoff controller is helping out too with the uh, radar and associate radar controllers uh in, in situations where there's lots of traffic right. uh, just to make sure that that everything is is going okay they got another set of eyes on the situation and as you go from zone to zone they they hand you off you know as you leave one space basically the next as as part of the air traffic control system as a whole you pass over into the next space and then another set of controllers helps you out. Right. And, uh, the, the data from your flight is actually passed on ahead of your flight. So it's not like you suddenly appear in someone's center and then your data shows up and then they say, Oh crap, how do we fit them into what's right. going on? Like occasionally aircraft have trouble or, you know, there's a, or someone makes a mistake 
And um, and the air traffic controllers have to react to that and tell pilots to to change their flight plan. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, especially like if they if the weather at the destination starts to get really bad and it was not expected and they have to divert the flight, uh, you know, you want to catch the stuff as early as you possibly can. And so um, uh, in or- as part of that, as the aircraft is getting closer to the border of one center, uh, they'll go ahead and pass that data on to the next center ahead of time, sometimes up to a half hour ahead of time. Mm-hmm. And then the uh, uh, that way everyone knows where everybody is before it becomes a problem. Uh, but, yeah, then the, the pilot will then be communicating with a new radio controller and uh, a radar controller, rather, not radio. And uh, this continues until you get close to your destination. Yep. And then it, it basically happens in reverse. Right. You, you you start communicating with the the tower, who can relay the uh, the conditions on the ground, let you know what's going on as far as traffic is concerned. Yeah, essentially, it would be you go, you you would start talking to Tracon first. Yes, you would. You Tracon would. would would start to to guide the planes in so that they are coming in at the the proper uh, angle for the the landing strip. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, if you've ever seen uh, there's certain movies that show this i'm thinking of pushing 10 in particular but uh <laughs> the air traffic controllers at uh, tracon and the ones at your destination work together to uh to get these planes to, to line up so that they can land in an efficient and yet safe manner mm-hmm. so you actually can see if you're looking at the radar that all these flights that are coming from various directions, I mean, like anywhere that you can imagine, you know, they're, they're coming in, uh, are all lining up like in a straight line. Um, this, this requires a lot of coordination. Yeah. Yeah. It really does. And it's, um, pardon my earlier oversimplification of the, uh, landing process. I just didn't want to get that email. No. Yeah. I understand. Uh, and, and you're right. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny because the, uh, Probably the biggest piece of technology in the uh, air traffic controller world is the air traffic controllers, the human technology involved with it. You know, yeah. I mean, we have the uh, the radar and, and other uh, computer information, but uh, that seems like what we were talking earlier about automating the process. I'm not sure that, uh, you know, the human can – we could completely automate that process. It seems like uh, people are a little too necessary, but uh, in general, it seems to work. Yeah, if we were to really break it down, the actual computer system has lots and lots and lots of different little components, each of which handles a very specific set of tasks. Mm-hmm. But it gets so granular at that point that it it's almost it's really difficult to talk about because uh you know, you're, you you have to break it down into such tiny little little uh segments. Mm-hmm. It's hard to get the big picture at that point. It's uh so to call it a computer system in a way, is an oversimplification because there's so much stuff going on. I mean, you're talking about different alert systems and different, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, organizational systems. But uh, but we would go insane <laughs> if we tried to break it down into every little tiny piece. So, uh, but yeah, and will we ever see it automated? I I think we probably will eventually. But again, this is one of those things where it's it's not just a technology thing; it's a political thing, yeah. and. Uh, and you know, it, you know, it's not it's not super high up on our priorities list right now. Well, Most considering the system is, is in general working, seems yeah. to be working. Yeah. So now, uh, granted, if we wanted to add a lot of capacity to that system, mm-hmm. then we would have to really start looking into upgrading it because uh, you know air traffic control 
uh, jobs are, are fairly stressful. Yes. <laughs> it's one I of would those, imagine so. One of those, I mean, you think about it, you're in charge of the safety of, of thousands of people every single day you go to work. Yeah, that's true. So, um, you don't yeah. want to, uh, make a mistake. Yeah. You don't want to make their jobs more difficult. No. But, um, but yeah, it, it it's, uh, I'm glad we, uh, We've had a conversation about that. That was fun. Yeah. All right. Well, if any of you guys have some uh, fun conversation topics you want us to tackle, you should email us. Our email address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com. You can email us kind of like this next example of listener mail. This listener mail comes from Johnny, and Johnny says, here's a funny pun I found. People who plug their computer keyboards into hi-fi systems aren't idiots. That would be stereotyping. Also, on your microwave podcast, do all the waves get reflected or do some escape? My mom says I should stand five feet away from the microwave when it's on. Is this necessary? Um, first of all, well, Johnny, always obey your mother. Yeah. Johnny's mom, I, I have, I have expressly told him to obey you. Um, but I think it probably stems from an earlier incident you're not telling us about. Well, my name is also Jonathan, <laughs> and I'm I am Southern, so I'm a mama's boy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But no, the to get to your question about microwaves and whether or not any escape. Uh, well, first of all, microwaves aren't really. Uh, there are microwaves that are out and about already. Yes, that's true. Not just not just coming from the microwave oven. Uh, but the mesh that's on the door of the microwave is uh, because the microwaves are so big, they can't pass through that mesh. The mesh is going to reflect them right back. Um so really the whole fear of radiation leaking out is a little overblown. Right. Uh, now granted if your microwave was somehow damaged, then yes, microwaves might be able to escape the the uh the door. But, uh, in which case you shouldn't be using the microwave anymore. No, but even then, uh, as, as the founder, uh, the, the guy who invented the microwave oven could tell you, um, it's not necessarily going to cause you irreparable harm immediately. It might melt your chocolate bar. (laughs) That's true. Uh, as we discussed in an earlier podcast, the, the person who discovered the microwave was, Figured it out because he was standing next to a device that was emitting microwaves and his candy bar melted yeah, in his a, pocket. It was a radar tele, uh, radar, um, antenna. Yep. And yep. that was where, you know, he was doing radar, some radar. I feel like I've heard that somewhere yes, before. Yes, exactly. Um, you must have been watching MASH. <laughs> so thanks a lot, Johnny. Uh, hope you guys enjoyed this show. Also, we have some cool announcements to make. Indeed. One is that if you are on Facebook and you like tech stuff, now you can like tech stuff while you are on Facebook. All right. Because we have a Tech Stuff fan page. So do a little search in Facebook and you'll you'll find the Tech Stuff fan page yeah. and uh, join that because we're going to have links to different articles and blog posts and discussions and things of that nature on there. And if you are on the Twitter, you can follow the official Tech Stuff Twitter account, which is TechStuffHSW. So, uh, yeah, go to, uh, to twitter.com slash techstuffhsw. That is the official Tech Stuff Twitter feed. Yep. You'll see our, uh, I don't know, album cover on yeah. there. So you'll know you're in the right place. As a matter of fact, uh, you, you can also follow all of the How Stuff Works, uh, podcasts and blogs because now we all have our own fan pages and stuff. Not that you'd want to. No. I mean, because clearly. Because we're, you know, far and above. Right. Because we know how Twitter works. <laughs> and they don't. 
We plan on using that to our advantage. All right. Well, hope you enjoyed the show. And Chris and I will talk to you again really soon. If you're a Tech Stuff fan, be sure to check us out on Twitter. Tech Stuff HSW is our handle. And you can also find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Tech Stuff HSW. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. And be sure to check out the new Tech Stuff blog, now on the HowStuffWorks homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?